Good morning. So good to see you this morning. If you're new to us, my name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're just glad that you're joining our family here on our campus. Uh, Appreciate our worship team leading us this morning. Hope you're doing well right now. I'm excited. We started last Sunday, we started a series on uh, prayer. Our elders begin to pray and think, what's the thing that we need to really discuss right now as a church? And uh, we kind of unanimously came up with this concept and started thinking through some things, and we need to pray. Like, that's probably the best series we could do. The best word we could give is about the Lord, about how can we connect to him? How can we know him? How can we pray that his presence would be moving ahead of us and that we would be connected to him in ways that only he can show us. So we started a series on prayer, but specifically on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, if we're going to learn a prayer, we might as well learn the best one, right? I mean, this is God Almighty in the flesh saying, pray this way. And so we're looking at the Lord's Prayer. Why is prayer so important? I wonder why it's so important, huh? Is it important for us to know God's heart? <laughs> is it important for us to be changed, because I'll tell you what happens when I pray, and I spend continual time in prayer, I change. I change from who I was to more like who God wants me to be. I like myself a lot more when I've been praying. Can I just be honest with you? I was at a prayer retreat not long ago, and I was, we were spending some extended time in prayer, and one of the things the Lord showed me oh, at that time was... Uh, you're better when you pray. Like, it's a better outcome. <laughs> the person that you are after being in my presence is who I want you to be. And I, it was just a, a revealing thing that I need to spend more and more time in prayer. But it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to pray. It's hard to, well, let me put it this way. Maybe it's hard to schedule time to pray. And maybe for some of you it's hard to pray. Maybe you pray kind of these prayers that are common words and common phrases for a few moments. And then you kind of go, uh, let me see, I could pray from him and them. and Sometimes it's hard to just linger and spend time with the Lord. And that's what we need to work on. That's, the, that's what we need to bring to the Father, the very honesty and authenticity of who we are in those prayers. You know, I was reminded as we were getting into the series, I'm reminded of one of the most passionate moments in the story of Jesus. You remember, he's coming into Jerusalem He'd been in the temple many times, uh, but he comes into Jerusalem, and this time when he goes into the temple, the text tells us in Matthew 21 that he finds people selling stuff. Maybe it's sacrifices, maybe, maybe it's trinkets, maybe who knows what's going on, but he's not happy. One of the stories of Jesus in the temple in this moment says that he takes time to fashion a whip. <laughs> the fact that he took some time, I'm just going to spend a little time making a whip, and then I'm going to run these people out of here, you know. Like, that's, that's interesting. We, we, we teach about Jesus, we, we think about Jesus, and we think of this meek uh, and mild Savior. And we don't think about this, this strong lion of Judah. But for some reason in that moment, remember, he, he fashions a whip. He runs people out of that area of the temple. By the way, I've been to the temple in Jerusalem. And this is not a small area. This is, I'm talking acres of property in this specific area. The temple is huge. 
And so for him to run people out that were selling things, this would have been a massive, scandalous moment. And that's exactly what he, what he does. Do you remember what he says after he runs them out? He says, my father's house will be a house of, huh, isn't that interesting? He said, but you've turned it into a, a den of thieves. So here Jesus is passionate about prayer, about people who are serious about prayer. You know, now there's not much left of the temple. The very back wall where the Holy of Holies was is still there. Uh, it's often referred to as the Western Wall. This is the picture you see all the time, pictures of the Western Wall and Jews uh, that are putting um, little pieces of paper, little prayer notes in the wall. I've done that. I put paper in that very wall. And it's just an amazing place to stand around and think of the history of what's gone on there. But we don't have much of the temple left, right? And the reason is we are now the temple of God, right? That's us. The people of God are now the temple of God. And as I was praying about prayer, I was praying about the Lord's Prayer, I started and the story of Jesus being so passionate to run people out of the temple, saying this should be a house of prayer, and it's not that. I started going in my own heart, Lord, what do you need to run into in me and turn over? What in us as the people of God do you need to rearrange in the temple so that we focus on connection with you through prayer? Because if he was as passionate to do that in the temple, he's passionate to do it in us as his temple, as the body, right? I believe that. So as we said last week, there is this expectation that if we're going to know Jesus as our Savior, we're going to be praying. If we have this relationship to the Lord, we need to be a praying people. It's not a matter of if we pray, it's a matter of when we pray. And so Jesus says that two or three times just in the text from last week. When you pray, right, it's, it's this continued uh, reality of prayer for the disciple. Can I say just very sincerely and lovingly, listen, if you don't pray, if prayer is not a reality of your life, there's a couple of things that could be going on. Number one, you don't have a very close relationship with Jesus. Number two, you may not have a relationship with Jesus. Okay? Number three, you may just be disobedient. And can I just say this? Sometimes I say hard things like this from the pulpit, from the table, whatever you want to call this thing. Can I just let you know from the sincerity of my heart that all week long, the conviction is pointed to me? Can I be honest with you? When I say hard things, it's not coming from me. It's coming through me. And so it's hit my heart first. So I've been convicted of my lack of prayer first. The sin in my life first. What does prayer look like? For us as the body of Christ. Because we simply cannot have an intimacy with God apart from it. We might want to uh, try and exist on fumes of a relationship, right? Well, I used to have this relationship so I know this about the Bible. I know this about God or this about church or this about that or whatever. But we cannot have a, 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 an intimate relationship with God right now apart from prayer. Listen, as we look at the Lord's Prayer this morning, 
I, I think it's important, I mentioned this last week, that I think it's important for us to look at the early church. I love the study of the early church. I love it. Because when you look at Acts 2 and Acts 4 and just all, all of Acts and the epistles and you, and you read and you understand these first uh, few hundred years of the church are just amazing what God was doing. And so I think it's important for us to look at the early church, maybe how they considered prayer. And the truth is, they considered prayer based around the Lord's prayer. When Jesus said, pray like this, the church, the disciples of, that were around him in that time, around the, the um, Sermon on the Mount, they took that seriously. And so everything became focused around the Lord's prayer. You might remember, I forget which series it was taught. We've talked about it several times, but I've mentioned this early first century document called the Didache. The Didache was an actual document that, uh, or, or a set of rules or traditions or, or something that the apostles' teaching that was passed on. So in like Acts 2 when it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? The New Testament didn't exist in Acts 2. So the apostles took the teachings of Jesus and the, some of the teachings of Judaism and some of what the Lord was speaking through them by the Holy Spirit, and they began to teach people how to live for Christ. And they, they had this document or this set of traditions or set of rules called the Didache. This was first century. This is, this is an amazing document. And in that document, we still have copies of it. In that document, it says that uh, the believer in Jesus should pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. Now, it's true that the early church, especially in Jerusalem, was primarily a, a Jewish sort of focused church. I mean, they're in Jerusalem, right? These are Jews who are becoming Christians. So naturally, like any of us, you take traditions into new traditions, right? So they're taking Jewish traditions and, and taking them into following Christ. So praying three times a day was taking Jewish prayer three times a day into what it means to be a Christ follower. Praying a little different prayer about the Messiah. They now know the Messiah. But they've taken the tradition of praying three times and now it's part of a sort of a religious uh, situation for them. So the Lord's Prayer was important to them. It even became important um, even in, in other like communal acts like baptism or communion. The church would do what we did this morning which is speak and pray over the Lord's Prayer. Early church father in uh, late in the second century Tertullian says that the Lord's Prayer was at the center of all prayer for the church. 20 years later, another church father, uh, Hippolytus, says that the Lord's Prayer was the basis for all private prayer, all corporate prayer, communion, baptism, and everything, right? Centuries later, prayer uh, kind of became sectioned off to monasteries, to monks. You guys go pray. That's your job. And the overall consensus or the overall body of Christ began to not see prayer as important as somebody else's job to go pray, right? And so it began to be removed from the discipline of prayer within the body of Christ. But this is what Jesus says for us to do, to pray. And often when we pray, we come, we, we bring our needs and our thoughts and, and our concerns, we bring them to the Lord. But I love the way Oswald Chambers says this. He says, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Prayer does not fit us for the work God is leading us to, the, 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 the works that, that Paul talks about in Ephesians 2, that we would walk in these. Prayer does not just fit us for those works. Prayer is the work. Time with the Lord, 
is the greatest time you can spend. And so we need to see it that way and grow in that. Listen, as we look at the Lord's Prayer, I'm thankful that Pastor Daryl has led us through uh, the Lord's Prayer. We're going to do this every week. In fact, I'd kind of like for us just to look at this again. I want us to look at, this is the uh, New King James Version, guys, if you'd throw that up. And it says, um, the Lord's Prayer, I want us just to read that again together. And here's the reason. In the next six weeks, I'd love for you to not need that. And maybe some of you don't need it now. And it's okay that we have different sort of translations going and stuff. That's okay. I don't mind that. But the one we have on screen is the New King James Version. I want us just to read that together again and begin to get a rhythm in our hearts for this. And, and we'll, we'll learn why in a, in a little bit. Can we, can we say this again together? Let's say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Why is it important? I was talking to my daughter on the way down here this morning. We were talking about the Lord's Prayer. She gets a little pre-sermon before you get it, right? And uh, we're saying, why is it important? Why is this important for us to know? She mentioned she has some Catholic friends, and they can say it just like this, you know. She says, it's just been beat into their heads. I'm like, well, then how important it is for us to actually know it and wh why we should know it. I played football, and one of the things that, that was kind of awesome about the, the football team is, and I didn't instigate this, I was just, you know, a kid, but at the end of practice, we would all gather up, and we would put our hands around each other, and we'd get down on the, on the grass, and we pray the Lord's Prayer at like lightning speed. Our Father and our Nevin, I mean, it was just so fast, you know, and you kind of learned it, picked it up, and you're just, you're praying it together. But the thing is, even as we said last week, to just be able to say or memorize the Lord's Prayer is good, but Jesus didn't give us a prayer so that we could have a rote prayer. He gave us a guide. He gave us a template so when we pray, we need to take those sections. This is what I'm doing right now in my prayer life. Taking these sections of the Lord's Prayer and praying around those themes. And that's what we're going to begin to learn over these next few weeks as we look at this series. This morning I want us to look at eight words. Think we can handle that? Look with me in the, in the word again. Matthew 6, verse 9. There's actually 12 words in the verse, but we're going to focus on eight. Jesus said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus doesn't say, hey, if you pray, you might consider praying. It'd be good if you prayed. He said, pray like this. That's a commandment. When Jesus tells us to do something, that's what we ought to do, right? So this is exactly what we see. So I want us to focus on these eight words. I'm going to just give you very quick. I'm going to show you the outline of the message. You ready? Here's what it is. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Those are the points of the message. And I love that Jesus, in this very first point, includes us as brothers and sisters. We don't think about it that much, because we, we know this prayer so well, our Father, right? He's saying our. Do you realize that the very first word alone, our, is a word of grace? 
We are not our apart from the work of Jesus on the cross. We are not brothers and sisters apart from a death given on the cross and blood spilled out, the crown of thorns. We are not our apart from his kindness and his goodness and the gift of salvation. We're not our. And yet Jesus, we see this picture of Jesus putting his arms around us and going, you can pray this with me. I am the son of God. And now because of my grace, you can now pray this prayer, our Father. It's beautiful. We now have access. I mentioned this last week. We now have access to God. Before the gift of salvation and the cross, we are enemies of God, right? If we don't know Christ, the Bible says we're enemies of God, and we need to be reconciled to him. It also says that in 2 Corinthians, when we've been reconciled, then God wants to give us a ministry of reconciliation and to help other people be reconciled to God. That means made right, gone from enemies to family. So we talked about this last week. There, there is a veil in the temple, nine inches thick. That's a lot of sewing, ladies. Nine inches thick that was torn from top to bottom. Not by man, by God. God was making a point for all eternity that we now have access to the throne of God. The word says we now have access to the throne of God and we can boldly come to his throne of what? Grace. We come to his throne of grace because that's the only way we can come. is through grace. Our I love that Jesus, in this moment, you know, Luke 11 says the disciples say, teach us to pray. And then in Matthew, he's, he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount. We don't know if this was the same event. Maybe Jesus gave part of the prayer in one moment in, in time with the disciples, and this was later in the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know. But what I love about the Lord's Prayer is that it is communal. I mean, couldn't Jesus have said, all right, I want to teach you how to pray. You ready? Here we go. My Father. Right? Give me this day my daily bread. Is that the prayer? It's not the prayer. It's a communal prayer with plural pronouns. In fact, I'd like for us just to look at that real quick. Uh, Notice how many there are. Our Father in heaven. We drop down to 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What is Jesus saying to believers? That you're not alone, right? That this life in Christ was never meant to be lived alone, walked out alone. This is, this is such a beautiful communal reality. I, I like uh, even thinking, I was thinking about family. When Jesus says our, the very first word. It's about family. And I started thinking about my family. When my family will pray the Lord's Prayer, we, we're praying our from our little family. We've prayed it here this morning. And we're praying from here, from our little family. I think about different places around the world that I've been. That Brother Jerry's been around all these countries and believers at different times today 
will pray the Lord's Prayer. And they pray our. They're speaking not just of their family or their church family, but of the global family of people who believe in Jesus. We are connected to the body of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Not even people just living now. But there are people in heaven that when we say our, we're, we're connected not only to believers on the earth, we're connected to believers eternally, locally, globally, and eternally. Our Father. Justo Gonzalez is a uh, theologian. He focuses on the early church, but he says this in his book, Teach Us to Pray. He says, our Father, we are not praying alone. Even when we pray in private, in hundreds of different languages, in tall, steepled churches, and in small chapels with thatched roofs, privately and in the midst of multitudes, this great we, who are the body of Christ, raise our unanimous prayer, our Father. See, what's beautiful is Jesus is showing us, first and foremost, prayer is not about Prayer's not about us. Is it okay for us to pray about the things that are in our hearts? Of course. But we need to have a clear understanding that even in the model prayer that Jesus gives us to pray and live by, prayer's not about us, first and foremost. It's about the fact that we're connected to a family and honoring the Father. I love Al Mohler's book. The, the, it's called The Prayer That Turns the World Upside Down. He says this, he says, Jesus does not begin with request. He begins instead by identifying the character of God to whom he prays, while at the same time challenging our individualism in prayer. A tremendously powerful theological point by beginning in prayer with the word our. Jesus is reminding us that when we enter into relationship with God, we enter into relationship with his people. We are saved by Christ. We are also saved into his body, the church. Do you see the connection, the combination? Prayer is not just about us. There's a story of British theologian, uh, amazing writer, G.K. Chesterton. And it's a wonderful story that uh, a British newspaper sent to multiple theologians this question. What's the worst thing in the world? And... All these people sent in their essays, and Chesterton sent in this. I am sincerely Chesterton. And of course, do we talk about the other entries? No, we talk about his little entry. I am. What's he saying? He has a right understanding of who we are. Broken, human, sinful, fallen. The worst thing is me. It's, it's, it's Paul saying, I'm the chief of all sinners. And yet somehow in, in our rugged individualism, that's who we are as Americans, in our rugged individualism, everything's about me. It's me. Me-centered. My rights. What's important to me? And Chesterton gets it right when he says, I'm the problem. You know, America was founded and often run in many ways, in this rugged individualism. But we have to be so careful that we don't take this uh, nationalistic understanding of individualism and read the Bible with that, because that's not the way the early church lived. They were so communal. Even their prayer 
together. Jesus prays a prayer of community. We have to be careful how we read Scripture and understand that it is to be lived and understood in a community sort of a, a way. It is the family of families. You hear us say that phrase all the time. And I love that we have begun to pick up sort of a common language around that. This is what the church is. It is a family of families. We're saved by Christ, but also saved into his body, the church. Another consideration of the word our is the fact that the Bible says we are now a kingdom of priests. Right? When you think about the word priest, I typically, my mind goes to liturgical church settings where there's a priest, and in order to, to even pray or to be forgiven, you have to go between this man and, and he gives some sort of words, and now, now you can be, no. We have access to the throne of God, right? And, and so this, in the Reformation, this was focused on quite a bit as uh, the priesthood of all believers. This is who we are. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter says, but you are a chosen race, the Christian race is what he's talking about here, God's people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you were not, had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, the idea of being a priest is not just that we have access to God, but that now we can represent God on the earth. Now when we say our, we can care for one another as the church. And when we say our, now we can represent God to the whole world. And guess what? The world is hurting. People are hurting. People are hurting. And we can be a salve. We can be love. We can be a representation of Jesus to the world and we pray our, we also realize our common priesthood of all believers. Then he says, Father. Our Father. Of course, we talked about Jesus' finished work on the cross. But because of that work, we are now brothers and sisters with Christ. We can truly say, God, our Father. We've been adopted, right? This is the relationship we have. You know, in... Uh, and what I've read about the Jewish faith, they didn't use the word father that much. It just, it just wasn't a common practice. Jesus comes along and he's talking all the time about his father. When you see me, you've seen the father. Well, I'm going to go to the father. I mean, he just continually. In fact, he begins to use the word Abba. And Abba means daddy. I love, I love when my children call me daddy. I love it. I will always be their daddy no matter how old they are. And I love that. They are connected to me like, like no one else. They're my children. And I love them. And when we begin to understand that God our Father loves us in that way and more. Oh man. Look at the way uh, Paul puts it in Romans 8 verse 14. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. 
Let me just make this little comment. You know, often in the world people talk about, we're all God's children. You heard that phrase? Politicians, music artists, different people. We're all God, listen, we're just all God's children. No, we're not. We are all created in the image of God. And so there is inherent value in every man, woman, boy, and girl. Right? We are created in God's image and, and, and beautifully created. But we are not all his children. To become a child of God is to know Jesus as your Savior. To be grafted into this vine. Paul puts it this way to the Galatians. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Isn't it amazing to think that when we pray, our prayers, if you know Jesus as your Savior, our prayers can be heard just in the same way Jesus' prayers are heard. Amazing. When Jesus puts his arms around us figuratively and says, come on, our our Father? This is our Father. This is the connection that we have as adopted, loved sons and daughters of God. We can have an intimate relationship with God and we approach Him with this kind of a heart as sons and daughters. How, how does that make you feel? I mean, some of us, we all have different opinions of what fatherhood or, or, or parental relationships are based on your upbringing, based on your story. You may not value having a father because your father split. Your father wasn't in the picture, so it's not a big, I don't, whatever, God. But when you understand a right relationship of family and you understand a right relationship of responsibility as a father and, and loving a father, then we can know this love of God our Father. I have a friend, uh, <laughs> a few friends that are progressive Christians. Um, progressive Christianity is, is uh, another gospel, is what Paul would call it in, in Galatians 1. And I, I, I continue to stay friends with them on Facebook, Facebook so that I can pray for them and occasionally uh, challenge them lovingly. There's this one girl and uh, she often tries to make the point, putting sort of a feminine title on God. And so she'll say, I'll pray to our mother. And she'll, she'll mention the Lord's Prayer and she'll say, our mother. And she'll talk about the need for equality and speaking of the feminine aspects of God. But let me just tell you something. John 4.24 says that God is neither male or female. God is a spirit. And the thing we have to understand as believers in Christ is God has not revealed himself to us through his word as mother. Right? So you don't take your own, well, I think. <laughs> Anytime your study of scripture starts with, well, I think, not so great, okay? Don't let that be the form of your exegesis. It's not about what you think. It's about what God is speaking to his people through his word. That's what we know. That's what we lean on. That's what we believe. And God has not revealed to us God, our mother, 
but God our Father. Uh, Moeller says this, according to Scripture, God is rightly understood as a father to his children. God has not revealed himself as a heavenly mother. When we pray our Father, we are rejecting every misrepresentation of God's character, every lie of the devil, every heresy or idolatry, and praying to the one true and loving God, our Father. This beautiful prayer. We're two words in. we got two more to go. In heaven. Our Father in heaven. See, Jesus is making this understanding here, helping us. He's beginning these last couple of phrases to help us understand that we are not God. <laughs> right? That, that God is other, holy, separate, not here, somewhere else in that regard of holiness. And so he helps us to see this in our prayer. Our Father in heaven. It's a distinction about these two different worlds. One holy, one not. I told Pastor Darrell I was going to quote him this morning. He says this all the time. He's, he's saying it more and more, in fact. And that is, there is a heaven and this ain't it. Right? You'll probably use that today at some point. There is a heaven, this ain't it. And that's exactly the point Jesus is trying to make. Our Father in heaven. There, there's a, a dichotomy. There, there's a separation. Heaven in Scripture is spoken of in a couple of different ways. In Genesis 1-1, the Bible says uh, that the Lord created the heavens and the earth, right? He's speaking of clouds and universe and, and, and all of that stuff. And yet another way that it's spoken of in Scripture is this location, heaven, where God is, where God is worshipped nonstop by angels crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In Scripture we have these specific understanding of what is going on there and what it looks like and what is being experienced. It's amazing. And I don't fully understand it all. But I know that Jesus is trying to help us understand the difference between us and God. Our God in heaven, our Father in heaven. I like the way the writer of Ecclesiastes says in chapter 5, verse 2, Be not rash with your words, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. You get the point? Therefore, let your words be few. The Lord is making a distinction here. God is creator and you're not. God is up there and we're down here. There is a separation, a dichotomy, a transcendence, a fallen nature. And so he continues to help us understand what this means. Jesus says this in Matthew 18, and I was even thinking about this this morning as we were singing and we were praying, the fact that Jesus is present with us. Look what he says in Matthew 18 in verse 19. In this reference of prayer, he says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, right? But watch this, for where two are gathered, two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be among them. So this is kind of a confusing moment. You just said the Father's in heaven, Jesus says he'll be with us, or two or three where they're gathered together in agreement, Right? So this is how God, we, we talked last, last week about 
praying in our secret place. Jesus said, go into your closet and, and your father who sees in secret will reward you in secret. That's because God is not just in heaven. He is in heaven. He is being worshipped as we speak on his throne. But God is also here in me. God is with us here. He is with us everywhere. One of my favorite texts of scripture is Psalm 139. I love it for a lot of reasons. And and one day I'll share more about why I love it so much. Psalm 139 verse 7 says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol and hell. There's no place that we can go from God's presence. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. And Jesus is helping us understand this distinction between God's holiness and ours. And so we reverence God's holiness by reverencing his name. Here's the last phrase Jesus, Jesus uses. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. When's the last time you used the word hallow? Besides this morning in that prayer. This is not a word we use very much, is it? It's not part of our normal vernacular. Hallow. You might use it every year around October. Because this is where we get the word from, from the word Halloween. Hallow. The word hallow means to make holy. Or to consider as holy. Which was the church's attempt. Let's, let's make this day holy. Jesus is saying not just, Father, your name is holy. He is saying that. God's name, God's presence, God's character, Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity of God, holy beyond imagination that we can't even understand. But Jesus is saying something more than just that his name is holy. Look what Muller says. Jesus is not merely saying that God's name is hallowed. Rather, he is asking God to make his name hallowed. Jesus is asking God to act in such a way that he, is, that he visibly demonstrates his holiness and his glory. God's name is essentially shorthand for God himself. Have you ever looked for a business, a carpenter or a plumber or somebody, and you say, well, they have a good name. You ever use that phrase? Looking for something and you're trying to decide on something, well, they have a good name about them. What you're saying is they're good. Them having a good name, them having a, a name that precedes them, them uh, it's the same thing as saying that company is good. In the same way, Jesus saying, hallowed be your name, holy is your name. We want to make holy your name. We want to consider your name holy. It's the same thing as saying, God, you are holy. But on top of God's holiness in his name and in his character, we sang this word this morning in this song, God's renown. It goes before him, his holiness, his acts, the things that God has done precede God. They follow God. And we still hear these, these, of these things from the Old Testament. Look with me. Isaiah 48, 9 says, For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. For I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. 
For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Uh, uh, Ezekiel 36, 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, for my renown, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. Moeller says, hallowed be your name in essence is essentially, it's a summary of all that God has ever done. All these Old Testament passages, Jesus is asking God to so move in our lives when we pray this prayer, to so move and act around us, our church, our families, and around the people that we would value his glory and esteem his holiness and treasure his character above all else. He says we must not miss that Jesus' first request is not a personal, of personal needs to be met, but that God's glory and holiness be known and loved as it deserves. Friends, I know it's so easy when we come to pray to do so and talk to God about us. There's stuff burning on our hearts that we're concerned about. There's, there's illness and, and deficits in life. There's just things that just we want to just lay before the Lord, but hold back before you lay those things down and honor the glory of God, the name of God. Just, just wait just a moment and put things in the right place because God already knows your needs. And by going to him first instead of, all the things that we want to say, we're saying, Lord, you're more important than my needs. Your will, not my will. What needs to come first in my request and in my heart and in my life is you above all the things that I want to bring and lay down at this moment. One last thing I want to say before we end this morning. There's another beautiful way that God's name is hallowed. And when we pray this prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that's praying that God would save people. Save people by his grace. I, I love our elders. I love, I'm thinking about Leslie right now. Because Leslie, especially in the last couple of months, as he prays, he's been praying for our Sunday morning experience. Lord, would you save someone? Would you save someone? See, what, this is what happens when God takes someone from being an enemy of God. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior this morning... You're an enemy of God. When he takes an enemy of God who's far from God and by his grace draws them to himself, he's drawing your heart. You want to say yes. You, you want to surrender to the God of the universe. You've tried it your way. It doesn't work. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. And he's drawing you. He's drawing your heart by his spirit. And you confess your sin, you repent, you turn from your way to God's way. And you say, save me God, forgive me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and that the finished work on the cross is more than enough to forgive me of my sins. When God saves somebody's heart, he gets glory. The Bible even says he gets glory in heaven. When one sinner repents, the Bible says, the angels in heaven rejoice. So God's being glorified when someone's saved on earth. 
When someone's saved on earth, their lives change. And God begins to get glory in their life. He begins to bring glory to himself through their family. He begins to show the world as they walk out these works as a masterpiece of God. He begins to show himself off in their lives beautifully. And so God receives glory. He is hallowed even when people come to know Christ. This is what I'll finish with, friends. As Christ followers, we need to be a praying people. I I hope that this series, we just begin to to move closer to what that means. For me, if I'm just being honest, it's it's, it's meant for me taking every opportunity I can. Not in some holy sense, but as I ever think about it, prayer, I go, okay, okay, let me just pray. When somebody says, will you pray? I go, okay, well, let's do that. Let's start now. And we pray. I wake up in the middle of the night at times, I begin to pray. I mean, just, God, when can we be with you? When can we just have this conversation with you that is real? And as we pray, Jesus says, use this prayer, not in some rote way that you pray it because, okay, you got it memorized, good for you. No, pray our, we're a part of a family. And God has designed this prayer and the church to be a family of families. We are not alone. We're not meant to walk life alone, but to do it in a family. Our Father, He's only our Father by the grace and mercy of Jesus. Thank God for His goodness. Thank God for adopting us as sons and daughters. In heaven, removed from us because He's so holy in that sense. And so we can make our requests known to God, who's being worshipped in his holiness, in his transcendence, and yet he's not so far that he's not with us and that there's no place we can go from his presence. N.T. Wright, theologian, I'm going to finish with this quote. He says, our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. That is, may you be worshipped by your whole creation. May the whole cosmos resound with your praise. May the whole world be freed from injustice, disfigurement, and death. And may your name be hallowed. And as we stand in the presence of the living God with the darkness and pain of the world on our hearts, praying that he will fulfill his ancient promises of renown and implement the victory of Calvary and Easter for the whole cosmos, then we may discover that our own pain, our own darkness, is somehow being dealt with as well. I want to pray this morning. And as we pray, would you just, don't just listen to me pray. Don't just kind of close your eyes and what are we going to go for lunch, right? Pray as I pray. Can we? In fact, let's just do this. This is going to feel weird to some of you. I want to pray out loud. I'm going to pray out loud, and I'm going to pray with my eyes open. And you can do the same thing, and let's just have a concophony of prayer. Just a time of prayer where we're just praying to the Lord. And let this prayer be a real expression of our faith in Christ. And may it be beautiful as we look upon one another as we pray as our Father. Can we pray? Stand with me real quick, and let's pray together. Father, Thank you for our family. You can just pray with me right where you are. God, thank you for your goodness. 
Thank you for the way you love us. Even as I look around, God, I'm thinking about these people that I love with all my heart, my family. Lord, as I look in their eyes, as I, I look at their families, as I think about children and marriages and work and the broken things of life, God, I think about how good you are. I think about your mercy and your grace that covers us because we're such a broken people. And we're in such need of you, God. And we have no hope apart from Jesus' work on the cross. And so we thank you, Lord, that you have given us this privilege to know you. God, you've given us this privilege to be accepted by you and we can speak to you not as just this holy figure in the sky, but as our daddy, God. You are our father. And in love and experience, God, we approach you today because of how kind you are, how merciful you are, how loving you are. And we honor you, God. Above our requests, above our own individual needs and individual things in our lives, we want to honor you that you are our Father. You are holy. And there's no place we can go without you. May you move this family, this body, closer to you in prayer. Make us a people of prayer, we pray in Jesus' precious name. And I just pray this prayer today, God, that if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as their Savior, Lord, would they... Would they trust you today? Would they say, God, forgive me and change my heart? And would they let us know of the work you're doing in their heart and soul today? We pray it in Jesus' precious name. And God's people said, amen.